Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. I'm Katrina Liebick with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Eero, just a fan of fishes. It's Monday, March 1st, 2021, and we're excited to talk about all the fish. This week's Fish of the Week is the sockeye salmon, and today we're taking a prepper's approach in that we're going to offer some things to think about in preparation for the summer salmon season. I don't know about you, Katrina, but I am starting to get antsy here waiting for summer to come. And I know when it gets here, it's Alaska. It can be shorter than it is in the lower 48. And I want to make sure that I can maximize my time fishing out on the water. So this week, I think we're going to be talking about uh, some things that we can do to make sure that we have all our gear ready so that we can enjoy the summertime that we have up here. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And summer comes on pretty quick here. And, you know, it's light all the time. It's just kind of go, go, go. And you really don't want to have to be worrying about your gear being ready or your freezer being ready when you want to actually be out fishing. So, yeah, I think that's a great approach for today. All right. So we're talking about sockeye. You might know them also as they're called reds or red salmon. And like the other four Pacific salmon, they're silver when they're out at sea, but when they return to freshwater to spawn, they turn this really deep, beautiful red color and their heads turn green. And I don't know about you guys, but sockeyes are actually my favorite of the salmon to fish for. So Guy, I got a question for you. I mean, when you... When you're fishing for sockeye, what's your what kind of techniques do you like, and what are some things that you would be thinking about this time of year in preparation for for summertime? Well, the first time that I ever went fishing for sockeye I was down on the Kenai River with the Russian River population of fish coming up, and what. I was taught to do was this kind of flossing method where it's kind of this borderline snagging where you try and drift a leader down and get that caught in the fish's mouth and then basically snag the fish in the mouth. And you're basically using uh, either a heavy fly rod or a heavy spinning rod and about 20, 25 pound test line uh, that's kind of weighted down and then a big about size two fly hook uh, dressed up with some either like some bucktail colored up bucktail and some flashaboo and stuff like that and you're essentially casting up and bringing it down and snagging the fish like that yeah so i mean one of the things in terms of that method that you can be thinking about this time of year is you want to get new line on your reels it's just a good practice to get into you certainly don't want to be out on the water catching a fish and then having your line breaking because there's some kind of nicks in it from last year. It's just kind of gotten degraded out in the weather. So that's a great thing to think about now, ordering the type of line you use, getting it respooled. In terms of what types of flies or different lures you're using, that's another thing to be thinking about. You don't want to be, you know, heading down to the Kenai River or somewhere else and going to the store and they don't have the exact type of equipment that you want to use yeah and if you're tying your own yeah you're going to want to tie a lot as you uh you probably know if you've done this before because you're kind of dragging this along the bottom skipping along the bottom you're going to lose a lot of flies out there in the water a lot lose a lot of lures if you're using lures and those that you don't lose are going to get pretty beat up getting uh hooked on rocks dinged on rocks so uh you're definitely going to want to have plenty of these flies for when you eventually lose them or when you have to change them out. So 
This is what we what we call flossing, which again, kind of this borderline snagging method. But in some parts of Alaska, you are allowed to just straight snag for these fish. Isn't that right, Katrina? Yeah. Um, the two spots um, that I can think of right off the bat, there's a snagging fishery out of Seward. There's also one out of Prince William Sound where there's a hatchery. And yeah, it's basically you have a very heavy treble hook with weights and you're basically bringing that through the water quickly and snagging the fish anywhere that you can get it in the body. So in terms of prepping for that, that's the type of thing where you're going to want to get those hooks nice and sharp so they're not dull. And and do you lose a lot of those hooks or are is the can the because in the rivers yeah you can get hooked up on rocks and stuff like that but it's my understanding that when you're snagging you're more out in into the ocean kind of yeah before the fish when, when they're sort of staging to come into the rivers but aren't quite in the rivers yet uh, is the substrate there uh, do you end up losing a lot of these hooks or not really do you just kind of get them dull and you can reuse the same one over and over so long as yeah you, uh, I didn't them? I didn't actually lose any last year. Congratulations. You keep it kind of in the water column. Yeah, just kind of rip it through the water. I was lucky last year. Um, the other the other technique that's kind of different that a lot of folks maybe haven't heard of if you're not actually a resident in Alaska, it's called personal use fishing. And for sockeyes, that's going to be using a dip net. So it's like a big round net, like a hoop net with mesh um, that a salmon can't actually swim through. And, you know, there's a couple of different areas to do that, which we'll get into more this summer. But the Copper, the Kenai River, Kasilaf, Fish Creek, those are just some options. And it's kind of rough on your nets. For example, on the Copper, if you're holding your net out on the beach, um, the river current's kind of taking it with it a little bit. You have it on rock. So anywhere your net's hitting that rocky substrate, it's going to get a little tore up. And any of those holes that might develop, you want to mend those during the winter, if you can. I, I sometimes forget, and I always find myself like getting the car packed and wishing I would have mended the net beforehand so I don't have to worry about it that time of year. But yeah, that is that is something you can do this time of year, and it's, it's actually really helpful when you want to get out on the water. Now, are there any particular tools that you need to mend a net? Typically, you know, I, I'll just use whatever string I have laying around. Um, you can also use fishing line. I don't actually use a tool, but you'll just basically tie, you know, a good knot and get those holes covered up. Um, some people put foam around the whole perimeter of the net and then use line around that. So that gives it a little bit more robustness um, against some of those rocky substrates as well. But I think, yeah, just kind of if if you don't want to actually go out to the the local shop and get the specific line. You can use use what's around the house, or you can actually buy a replacement net if your net's just really kind of getting rough. I would highly suggest having one on hand um, in case you do have just a major problem on the water. You can just switch that net out quickly. Hey there, everyone. One thing that we want you to always keep in mind, regardless of what it is or where it is that you're fishing, is safety. Every week, we're going to give you a tip or two that you can use to stay safe while you're fishing. A lot of the safety tips that we have given you so far this winter have been precautionary in nature. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, so they say, and not falling through the ice is always preferable to the best emergency exit strategy. That said, you should be prepared for the worst. This applies not only to the gear you have with you, but also to your plan. Run scenarios in your head and on dry ground beforehand so that if you ever do fall into the water, you won't be coming up with a plan on the spot. 
You'll want to do your best to keep calm. Assuming that you are fishing with multiple people, alert them to your emergency. Know where your ice picks or knife are and how to access them. Then use them to start pulling yourself out onto the ice. When you are out of the water, don't stand up. Keep your weight distributed over as large a surface area as possible while making your way to safer ice. Under pressure, everybody regresses to their level of training and preparedness, and you want to do everything you can to ensure that you'll have a cool head under pressure. So another thing, Katrina, that we got to be thinking about this time of year is looking at the fish that we haven't yet eaten in our freezer and being able to clear that out to make room for the new fish we're going to catch this summer. So for all you folks that live in Alaska who harvest a lot of wild foods, you probably know about the freezer situation. And I mean, as much as you can, you want to be thinking while you're fishing, like, what does my family need or what do I need? So you're not running into the situation where you run out of fish too early or you have way too much fish by the end of the year. But there are some ways to actually, um, if you do have too many fish and you're kind of getting to March, April, and you want to clear that freezer out in preparation for the summer... Um, a great way to do that is jarring. And what jarring does that's nice is it, you know, you can actually take your fillets and get them out of your freezer and onto a shelf. So you're not using freezer space and it will extend the life of that meat for another two plus years. And it's really good. You can, there's a lot of different recipes you can do with jarred fish. And what you're going to need is a pressure cooker some half pint jars and lids and whatever you want to add flavor wise to your salmon. For us, it's, you know, jalapeno peppers, some canning salts and a little oil. And this jarring technique actually works for any salmon fillets, not just sockeye. So my experience with pressure cooking is very limited, uh, mainly just by contact. You know, when I was hanging out with you when I go home and hang out with my mom, she pressure cooks some stuff for canning purposes. But no, I've never actually done it myself. So how, how do you go? So I reckon you got these salmon fillets that are in vacuum sealed bags. And of course, we know you probably don't want to be contaminating the meat. You want it to be a kind of clean transfer process from the freezer bags to the jars. So how, how do you go about uh, keeping that controlled? Yeah. Yeah. For any canning, you want to, you know, be as, as clean and tidy as possible. What we do, you know, you pull out those vacuum sealed packages, let them thaw in their package. And then, you know, you're going to have that half pint jar and you want to cut your fillets to the height of basically that first line on the jar. You want to leave a little headspace um, whenever you do any, any jarring. So you're going to cut that fillet and you're going to put your ingredients. We usually put it below the fillet and then you're going to pack the jars as tight as you can you don't want like pieces floating around but you're going to you know just kind of stuff them all in there you're going to have a few little extra pieces when you're doing the cutting and you can just kind of jam those in the middle the other thing you're going to want to do is get your lids hot so they seal down nice and you know pressure cooking is a little bit different than I feel at least like jarring jam it's a little more high stakes because you don't want to blow yourself up with your pressure cooker so I mean you really have to pay attention get those lids on usually I you know you screw it on and then you just take it one step back so it's not super tight you're kind of riding a fine balance of not making it so tight that the jar will crack but not making it so loose that it won't seal 
and then and then you're ready to basically put everything into your pressure cooker and um, turn up the heat. And when I'm going to do that, I usually stop everything else and pay attention to what I'm doing because um, you have to cook at a certain um, pressure essentially to to make sure the meat is safe to eat. You don't want to deal with anything like botulism and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a little bit of mental preparation. Pack those jars in there, warm it up very slowly so nothing is cracking with like a fast temperature change. And then you want to keep your pounds per square inch between 10 and 15. And yeah, you just, you watch it to make sure it's not getting above that kind of higher threshold. And when you pressure cook meat, we, we pressure cook it for 90 minutes. So you're kind of, you know, paying attention for 90 minutes, making sure everything looks good. How does the canning process affect the flavor of the fish? I know you mentioned that you can throw in some other ingredients like jalapenos, I believe is something that you touched on. But how does the canning process affect the flavor? And then also what are just some other recipes maybe other than jalapenos that you can put in there (laughs) with the fish? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not going to taste the same if, you know, if you make sushi or if you cook, if you bake salmon, it's not going to taste the same as jarred salmon. It's, it's different, but good. The texture is, I guess, if you've had canned tuna, it's, you know, it'll, it's flaky, but very cooked, you know, very basically, and I'm kind of minimalist with this. I'll just literally open the jar and eat the salmon. You could get whatever kind of crackers you like, maybe some cheese. If you smoke the salmon before you jar it, that can be really good if you mix that in with some cream cheese and capers and lemon. But yeah, I mean, you can basically experiment. I mean, I know some people, maybe you add mustard or, I mean, I don't know, you could add kind of any type of flavor you want from very basic salt to garlic to maybe some teriyaki with some brown sugar. It just depends on what your palate is and what you like flavor-wise, I think. And do you leave the skin on when you're putting it in there or do you take the skin off? I leave the skin on. I actually like to put the skin out because it's kind of cool looking. So you see it in the jar, but some people like to put the filet out. So you see that nice kind of color. But yeah, I, I know with commercial canning, I think they even leave the, the vertebrae in and those are a nice little crunchy treat in there. We don't We don't filet our fish with the vertebrae, so we don't have that situation going on. But yeah, you can throw everything in there and cook it. Bonus calcium. It's great. Yep. Calcium's good. So yeah, those are just some, you know, some ideas during the heart of winter when things are pretty dark out and you're dreaming of summer. Just some things you can do to prepare for the upcoming season. I know we're all excited about that. Yeah. And as we're getting into March here, the ice is getting thinner and less stable. So this is something that you can do to be productive uh, and go out and start getting ready. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Eero. This show is produced by David Hoffman of Citizen Racecar, assisted by Garrett Tiedemann and Kelsey Kors. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.